all of these people that you think are going to judge you, they're not going to judge you because they're not even freaking watching you. So go out and do all of the things that fill you up with fire. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right, welcome back to the Wayfinder Show, Adam. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Business is cranking. We're doing a, a we have a siding job that turned into also a metal roof, and now we're painting another part of the house. And now the scope keeps oh, wow. expanding. And but uh, even more importantly, the the couple that we're doing the work for is just awesome. Just like ideal client, the nicest people in the world, understanding about everything and and cool. That's so great. yeah, that's keeping me Are busy. Are you guys expecting a big hurricane season out there sir, this year? I should probably know that, but no, I don't think so. But I would imagine it'd be pretty busy if you are. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. If, I mean, if we get a big hurricane, we'll 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 be doing a lot of roofs. That's for sure. But hopefully, we're doing a lot of roofs anyway. <laughs> so we got a we got a very special guest with us today. We got a, a Mandy McAllister. She is an entrepreneur, multifamily investor, mama, mindset ninja, woman's inspirational leader, eternal learner, coach, doc connector, and I'll go on and on, but I'll stop there because we have a show we gotta we gotta talk about. So welcome, Mandy. Oh hi. I am so excited to be here, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming yeah. on. So why don't you just give the listener a little background? Uh, about who you are, and then we'd love to to dive deeper into what you're doing now and what you're doing going forward. Sure, happy to. Well, I, I grew up on a farm in a town of 800 people with no stoplights in central Illinois. So if you need a bale hay, I can absolutely help with that. Uh, followed a volleyball scholarship down to a little school in Georgia and uh, moved to Chicago the day after undergrad was finished. Did a master's in economics, and your dad is a farmer plus master's in economics equals Chicago Board of Trade. So I worked there for a few years, but saw that that was going to go away pretty quickly because even though I can add numbers pretty quickly, like a computer is a lot better, you know? So I transitioned into uh, something business and people that had the kind of science stuff that I really did a lot of in undergrad uh, and moved into medical device sales and spent the bulk of my career there. And actually, like I made the choice at like, 19 or 20 that I didn't want to go to medical school. So I switched to the business school because I didn't want to be on call. Right. And the, the, the super irony of the world is that I ended up ascending that ladder of medical device sales until I was on call as a medical device rep. <laughs> and I realized what am I doing? You know? So, um, at that time I, I, you know, originally became interested in, in, uh, real estate investing when in college, when a friend said, Hey, my dad bought this house. And I'm renting out the rooms to our friends. I'm like, and you get to keep that money? That's the best idea I've ever heard in my life. I've got to do this too, right? So that was 1999. I, I didn't buy anything though with express purpose of investment until uh, 2016. 
So um, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there, beginning of the year. So uh, was able to grow that portfolio in such a way, really focused on cash flow that I keep for myself. I call myself an equity hog. I want to own the biggest part of that deal possible. And uh, I end up ended up creating a floor of income for myself such that I felt safe leaving my W-2. And after I did, I had a lot of faith, right? And I had joined this organization called GoBundance Women, the Women's Division of GoBundance, uh, because I wanted to run alongside people who were doing stuff like me, who were doing stuff bigger than me. And uh, because I had freed up that space, um, we were in need of a CEO. And they asked if I would fill that role. And now for the last nine months, I've gotten to serve as CEO of GoBundance Women. So that's awesome. Wow. Congrats. So Mandy question for you. I, it, if I'm not mistaken, at one point, GoBundance was kind of men's only. Uh, do you know at what point they started GoBundance Women? And then what point did you join GoBundance Women? Yeah. So I kind of grew up through multifamily in my investments. So I had known a lot of dudes that were members of GoBundance. And actually in 2017, I remember talking to a guy. I'm like, oh, it's not just about financial freedom. It's also about connected relationships and like giving back and having adventures. These are my people. How do I join? I want in. He's like, sorry, it's just for men. I'm like, ooh, that's that that felt a little weird at that moment. But the guys who started GoBundance realized at the exact same time, roughly, that we should be serving women also, that this type of uh, a tribe, this type of a group is going to be inspiring regardless of your gender but a chance to kind of stay where it feels safe in terms of vulnerability and things like that. So in 2019, uh, they spun off a, a, a siloed division for women, uh, GoBundance Women 2019. Our first event was scheduled to be March of 2020, which uh, kind of the, the world imploded a little bit then. So uh, it took, yeah. uh, there was a, a lot of left-hand turns, but uh, actually 2022, so just uh, December of 22, it was made a, a four women by women. Three of us acquired the rights in order to operate it under our own umbrella. So I had the opportunity to be one of those three and uh, serve as leader now. Oh, interesting. So it, it operates as its own entity, its own mm -hmm. business. Oh, well, interesting. Abundance is considered our parent company and we do a lot of things together. Like there's a number okay. of, of calls that happen uh both genders, but there's, there's a lot, I think that there's a ton of value in, you know, I don't want to discuss, like, it's going to be a lot easier to get vulnerable discussing my fears of failing as a mother with other women in the room, you know, and I've got yeah. to imagine that it would be the same type of uh, vulnerability sharing type open door if it's men with men. So we're very thoughtful in terms of where we keep it, men with men and women with women and where we choose to overlap. Interesting. So, so like those calls, a proximity call, all the, that is still everybody. It's open to everybody. So everything yeah. that's kind of business related. Uh, so there's a multifamily, what we call micro tribe group of people who get together to yeah. talk about multifamily. There's a micro tribe on short term rentals, uh, the micro tribe on women's health, because, you know, most of us, our avatar is, you know, women in their 40s and hormones change. And I don't know about mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys would be super interested in chatting about menopause. So uh, that that one is just women. Uh, we do lots of calls. I think the favorite call of everybody, it's called the seven to eight. So in order to join, you have to have a seven figure net worth and you're working to get into an eight figure net worth. We kind of um, go into dive deep on how that member 
went from seven figure net worth into an eight figure net worth. And mm. I, you know, one thing to, you know, maybe add some value. I love finding patterns and stuff like that. And the one pattern that keeps coming up time and time again is uh, the, the people who grow exponentially, who get into eight and nine figure net worth, go an inch wide and a mile deep. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, Adam, you're, you're a builder, you're a roof guy, right? Like you're not also the landscaper. You are not also the, the snow plow guy, you know? So you're not all of the things to everyone. You get really darn good at one thing. You go that inch wide niche and you go a mile deep. And that's where the, the real gold is. Mm. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, I wouldn't mind going back a minute. Um, so you started off and you were, um, you were working as a trader, right? Something along that, those lines. And then you moved into medical device sales. Was that, um, what caused that transition? Was it, was it just money or was it something personality wise? You just felt you'd be better in sales. I, I feel like I've always kind of chased the money. Like, I feel like my, I, it, it was very clear to me as like a kid that you do a job, you pursue a career for money. Right. I was never the person that was going to be an art major and just go like, find your passion and the money will come. Like, no, like it made very much sense to me that I could choose a passion where there was money. Right. And the floor of the board of trade was that. And, you know, it was the open outcry where people are yelling and they're doing all the weird hand signals. I loved that. Uh, In order to kind of stay with trading, I took a job trading upstairs, they'd call it like on the computer screen. It was a, a firm that was like 180 traders in the dark clicking mouses. So instead of the human interaction and like loudness, it was like dark, you know, just people looking at a computer screen. And I was the only female. And I, I didn't have a problem with that. But like what I didn't love was that it was very, you know, just me. It was very like introverted, heavy. And I needed more of that open outcry, you know, personal stuff. So I, I took a big step back and decided, all right, if I can't do this, where can I be passionate and like run after some money at the same time? And that's where medical device sales made some sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That seems seems like just the little bit of that I know you that being trapped in a space behind a computer without talking to people just wouldn't be a, wouldn't be an ideal fit for you. So that makes complete sense. Now, do you feel that the chasing money aspect was something that was kind of drilled into you from childhood or is that if you just always had big dreams of doing big expensive things or, or, or where does that come from? So growing up on the farm, you know, my uh, closest neighbor was a mile away and it was my grandma. Right. But both of my parents were self-employed. So I saw this like opportunity for kind of endless revenue uh, as part of it. And I was, I was kind of my mom's company's only sales rep for a a long bit of time, uh, which made me realize that I could actually help people by doing sales, that it wasn't like an icky type of a thing. I was helping fix problems. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, there was money exchanged in the process. But um, growing up, it was, I had a choice. I got to either be a lawyer or I got to be a doctor. Like those were my, you go ahead, you go ahead, you choose, right? And so I started running down the um, path of, of, pre-med and spent three years as a a chemistry major and then had a conversation with a cardiologist who must have been grumpy that day 
who's like, you're going to, you better love medicine because you're going to be a slave to this pager. Like you are on call all the time. Like you don't get a second glass of wine ever because you're, you know, going to have to go to the hospital potentially. And that's when I realized, oh, wait, maybe that's the life I don't want, you know? Yeah. So kind of chasing money, but I, I just, that's what the smart kids did. And I, I saw myself as a smart kid. Makes sense. You know, Mandy, when you got into medical sales, that, was that a commission-based job? Yeah, actually, the first one was um, uh, commission only. And yeah. uh, that, that was actually pretty interesting because I figured out pretty quickly that um, I could go close one hospital and make a little bit of money, or I could close the whole group of hospitals and then make a lot more money, right? So right. the idea of um, work smarter, not harder, uh, really hit me hard in that first job. Yeah. So I asked because um, you you talked about how you really wanted to get out of your W-2. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a commission-based, you know, I sell real estate, all commission-based. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel like it's my own business already. Like, I don't feel like I have a W-2. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't. And and so why why was that? Why did that feel like a, you were leaving your W-2 from there? Like, why was that? Well, the way medical device uh, pay and commission is structured is your number this year, Luis, is a million dollars. And we will bonus you $100,000 if you hit a million dollars in sales, right? So then next year, you're going to hit that million dollars. And we're going to say next year, you have to sell $1.5 million to get that $100,000 in commission, right? So you end up constantly chasing your tail, chasing that commission. Oh. So you, it, the bar just continues to reset itself. So um, that was a big piece of why I wanted out, because if you're good, then you kind of compete yourself out because the yeah. world isn't creating like an exponential number of cardiologists for you to go sell yeah. stuff, you know? So um, the more I would say, actually, okay, let me, uh, the biggest reason I chose to, I chased leaving my W2 was um, I had just won a president's club. I was like number I, I forget the number. I think it was five. It might've been eight, somewhere in there out of 500 reps. So they take you on a big fancy trip and like all of these, you know, the plaques and whatever. I think I have the award back there somewhere. Uh, after that though, like I was supposed to sell a million. I sold like 4 million, right? Well, now the next year they expect me to sell 5 million. Well, I had done all of these kind of watershed one-time things in order to achieve that $4 million thing. 5 million was not possible uh, right. in that year. So sure. my boss at the time, I was a brand new single mom. I had just divorced. He says, well, you got to go find more patients. You, you got to figure, you got to find a way to hit this number and find more patients. What, what do you mean by that? He, like he was advocating for me to look at information that I didn't have the right to look at. And that mm -hmm. felt like, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this essentially bad, like immoral thing in order to just hit a number. That's not the, the moral code that I live by. So when I realized like, oh, wait, I'm not going to be homeless and penniless and under a bridge. I have, I, at the time I had like $3,000 cash flow coming in. We're going to pay the mortgage and we're going to, we're going to eat ramen, but we're not going to be homeless. You know? So that right. level of financial freedom left me, left this huge light bulb that I need to control the things that actually matter. That tomorrow you could you could be fired from your W-2. If you die tomorrow, they're gonna post your job on LinkedIn in like 24 hours. Right. You know? So like understand what actually matters. I actually have control over the money that I bring in with my companies and my ventures and my real estate. 
I don't actually have control whether or not that institution is one going to want to employ me tomorrow. So mm -hmm. uh, I really doubled down on my portfolio. And actually one thing that, you know, uh, I want to make sure we can link to in the show notes is this financial goals calculator that I created, because mm -hmm. there are these varying ideas, varying levels of financial freedom. And, you know, if you, if you have something to hit, if you're aiming at something, you're more likely to hit it, right? So if you can just do the math on how much you actually need in order to achieve whatever level of freedom you want to achieve, it's going to be so much easier to hit. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it never occurred to you, I, I, I still see it if your commission basis is kind of like your bit, you still got to go out and figure out who are your clients how to sell them a product, right? And, and so, so in that time when even though your compensation was a little bit different, it wasn't a direct percentage of of the sales, right? Like uh, you still, it didn't occur to you maybe, hey, I'll just go and get my own lines of, of medical devices and start my own, anything like that? No, it's not really how it works in that industry. Like I was I working see. for like these Fortune 500 companies. Sure. And it, like to have that name on your scrubs got you invited into the uh, cath lab suite, you know, so um, it, there's there wasn't a way to be more entrepreneurial than I possibly could. Actually, the, the way that I those watershed things I talked about that made me number five in the country was um, I realized that the order met getting messed up is the thing that kept many doctors from ordering this thing I was selling. So I figured out how to work with the computer systems in the hospital, the EMR, uh, to basically code the order to come out perfectly every time, right? So oh. I implemented this like business strategy, which was also an epiphany that that is my strength. Yeah. It's not so much the uh, the other stuff. So how do I double down on the stuff I am actually doing? So now um, going back to your club, the seven to eight club. Uh, seven to eight is a call that happens within GoBundance. Right. Okay, sorry. Uh, call. Can we look at, at a couple different levels? You great tip as you know to get from seven to eight. You go an inch wide and a mile deep. Mm -hmm. What about go back? What a we're in emerge, so mm -hmm. we're in a six to seven call basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, Love it. What what advice would you give to people like us to go from six to seven? The thing that got me there, and I, I'm going to speak from my own experience. What worked for me. Um, Figuring out how to real estate, you, you can set it and forget it. Like I, I, on one of the seven to eight calls, actually, this calls back to the six to seven call we're on. Um, David Osborne mentioned that um, the success rates of real estate uh, ventures are, are like a 90% success rate. So if when you have hmm. fewer dollars to gamble with, let's say, the, the real estate plays tend to bail you out if you've done the math such that you're going to be able to withstand the potential pitfalls, right? So I want to say, um, I'm going to answer this a, a different way too. When I was going from the four and six unit properties that felt really comfortable to me into the 50-ish unit properties that I would buy, um, I was scared out of my mind. Like this is another, oh my God, I'm going to be homeless and penniless. And I'm living under a bridge if this screws up, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I was reading a lot of Stoic philosophy at that time. And this idea of what is the actual worst case scenario kept coming up in stoic philosophy. So I realized like whatever thing you're in, can you assign, not just is the toilet going to break and is somebody going to not pay, pay their rent? You know, that's going to happen, right? But what is the actual most catastrophic worst case scenario? 
figure out what that is. And to me, it was the beginning of COVID when we took that down. And I was trying to figure out like maybe everybody loses their jobs and they can't pay their rent. And if we can't, if they don't pay their rent, we won't be able to pay the mortgage. We will lose the property. That's the actual worst scenario, right? So uh, I did the math. Like of the jobs, we knew the types of jobs that were going away during COVID. Uh, the manicurists and the bartenders and the people who had, you know, service jobs or were carpenters, things like that. They kept their jobs. They were essential, right? So I, I went back to the applications of those people from the property management firm and I was able to say at-risk job not at risk job, at risk job, right? Mm. And I found that 10% of the people who lived with us had at risk jobs. And I could withstand 48% uh, economic vacancy. I think it was 48%. I might be misquoting 45, somewhere in there, percent economic vacancy in order to to still be able to pay all of my bills and keep that property afloat, right? So that meant, oh, wait, the actual worst case scenario, I can withstand it. Now I can move forward on whatever playing bigger thing I need to do to achieve my six to seven goals. So I would implore you, whatever thing you're doing that you, you know, you know, you know what the thing that you could do that is going to take you furthest fastest. You usually know that thing and you're usually a little scared of it, right? How can you apply this, this thought experiment of worst, actual worst case scenario, and then apply some truth to it? And can you mitigate that risk in such a way that it becomes an obvious thing? So that is thing number one, I would advise you in terms of mindset hack. And then thing number two, I call it hindsight foresight. If I'm, um, if I am, uh, I'm 42 years old right now, if I want to go do something, uh, I think about 62 year old Mandy. So me 20 years in the future, and I I get her to give me advice, right? So this thing that I want to do is 62-year-old Mandy more upset that I tried it and failed? Or is she more upset that I didn't try at all? And 99 times out of 100, she's pissed if I didn't try. You know? Yeah. Right. I think foresight. Um, I think we're similar age. You know, you said your grad year is the exact same year as mine from college. So I, uh, I've i been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, just, wow, what, where, you know, am I, am I going to be upset? Where, where am I going to be upset, you know, yep. 20 years from now of what I'm doing now? you know, because I'm playing it too safe, right? Powerful. Yeah. What about the other way? So going from seven, instead of uh, six to seven or seven to eight, have you seen, and I know you're, I don't know if you're on these calls or if they, these calls exist, but what about eight plus? Oh yeah. So the seven to eight call is for anybody who's an eight figure net worth or a nine figure net worth. We've okay. had plenty of people on with, you know, hundred million dollar plus. Uh, men and women uh, okay. that are part of the GoBundance organization. And again, it's just going inch wide and a mile deep. So I'll say another, uh, to maybe get to that point a little further, um, the people who double down on business, business is a gamble that has much more exponential upside than real estate. But real estate is is a lot safer, right? Mm-hmm. The 90-ish percent success rate that that I mentioned earlier doesn't necessarily exist in, in business, but there's a lot more potential upside. For instance, I'm going to say this in another way. If I'm willing to pay uh, a four cap or a five cap for a multifamily property, that's that's what I play in. It's net operating income divided by cap rate equals my value. If I'm willing to pay a four cap or a five cap, that's like saying 
I'll pay $25 for a cash, a dollar of cash flow or $20 for a dollar of cash flow, right? So the four mm -hmm. cap is 25, the five mm -hmm. is 20. That's just the math. If I buy a laundromat, I can buy that at 3x uh, EBITDA, the cash flow number for businesses. So uh, I, I'm either having to pay $3 for a laundromat for that dollar of cash flow or $25 for that dollar of cash flow in a four cap property. So that, that kind of illustrates that your growth can be much more exponential in a business than it can in real estate. Yeah. So having said that, are, are you planning to stay in the real estate lane or are you, are you dabbling in business acquisitions? I am, I'm dabbling. It's uh, I always talk about, you got to get laser focused. Right. And, uh, uh, I actually have a call into uh, a guy who has a car wash. It's like two hours from me that also owns the real estate. I have um, some 1031 funds to put into something. I think I'm going to try that. But I believe very much in little bets, right? Like I'm not going to go buy the $2 million car wash right out the bat. I'm going to buy the $300,000 to $300,000 car wash and give it a try and see how it goes and screw up without that many zeros on the right. end, you know? Uh, my ultimate theory, and this is just from Mandy's shoes, how I approach investing and, and the game that we're playing here, is I want an engine. Uh, multifamily is always going to be my end game. I can buy that on non-recourse debt, meaning I'm not personally liable. It's backed by the government. It has the longest amortization, the longest term, the best rates you can possibly get. You have to borrow more than a million dollars. This is uh, Google the Freddie Mac Small Balance Loan Program. Because I did not know this existed, even though I was buying four and six plexes. If you just go a little bigger, the, the lending gets way better, right? Mm -hmm. That is always my end game. However, if you're investing two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a time in order to buy into these larger properties where you're going to borrow a million dollars plus, you're your friend Mandy, you run out of money pretty quick, right? Uh, so I need an engine for cash flow in order to be able to throw those dollars into my end game. Uh, multifamily real estate. So my what's in my mind's eye that I'm looking to execute on right now is how can I build up these uh, boring uh, ease, like everybody's going to need it, not going to be replaced by chat GPT type of a business so that I can build this cash flow and be able to throw it into the multifamily stuff. Because to dissect that one more step, uh, if you work at W2, you get paid on those hours one time, right? If you flip a house, you get paid on it one time. If you build it, like if you fix a roof, you get paid on it one time, right? If you set up a buy and hold investment, multifamily, single family, whatever, you set it up once, you get paid forever. So if you're going to do a one-time money activity, you need to do it with express purpose of throwing it into a forever money bucket, right? Because that, that forever money bucket is what builds on itself. And then that cash flow really starts to snowball at some, some point in time. Yeah. So you got a lot going on. Obviously, you're CEO of Go Abundance Women. You're a, a multifamily investor. Um, well, I, before I move from that, are you focused on syndications right now, or are you doing joint ventures? What What are you doing? I don't. I have syndicated. I don't really love syndication hmm. because um, I the last syndication I did it was a twelve million dollar deal. I raised a million dollars. I did all the due diligence. What percent of that deal do you think I own? Probably like less than 5%. 5%. I own 5% of the GP, 5% of 30% is 1.8%. Right. 1.8% of 104 units is a duplex, bro. Why yeah. am I so, why do I think that that yeah. is so glamorous? Right. In my opinion, it's not, right? 
I want to joint venture and, and own equity hog myself into at least a 25% ownership that we're going to own for the long term. Because if you look in the single family space, if you take something and make it prettier and sell it pretty quickly, that's called flipping. And what syndication is, is you buy something, you make it the cash flow prettier and you sell it right away and capture that upside. That, in my opinion, is the flipping of real of multifamily real estate. And mm -hmm. I don't want a one time money. I want yeah. forever money. You exactly. know, totally agree with you. I have similar thoughts there. But um, OK, that makes a lot of sense. So you're trying to make money, you know, through some different ventures, dump that into real estate, probably focus on things where you can be the equity hog you like to be. Do you feel like... Um, Will the car wash be taking up a lot of your time or will you have a GM in place that's kind of doing all the operations? Candidly, I don't know. I'm hopeful it's something I can handle myself. I like making the mistakes up front. The very yeah. first fourplex that I bought, I self-managed for a little while because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Yeah. And the easiest way to get to know all of the things that you should know is being involved in day-to-day -day stuff. The, yeah. the thing is I'm exiting a motel that I bought. I'm exiting... Uh, a single family home, I'm exiting a few things, right? So I'm going to have more bandwidth. The only reason I'm willing to take on something new is because I've kind of pre-planned my bandwidth. Yeah, I agree with you there completely. And of course, owning a business, you want to be working on your business, not in your business. Of course, we all know that cliche, but I think there's definitely something to be said for, especially in a new industry, to be in the business for at least, I don't know what that, if it's three months, a year, but you need a period of time because you need to learn the ins and outs of all these things. And it's same with me. I bought a, a roofing business like three months ago and, and you know, people are like, well, you, you know, you're working in the business. You bought a job. Well, yeah, I did, but I, I need to be my growth plan is here and, and, you know, a year or two from now, I will be above the business. But right now, I mean, learning all of the things about, about the business is, in my opinion, very important if I'm going to grow it into what I want to grow it into. So I, I like that mentality. You're in roofing college. Right, exactly. <laughs> You'll exactly. graduate one day and hire <laughs> someone, but you're in roofing college right now. Yeah. And the, there's work to be done in order to learn what you need to learn. I would encourage you that if you're going to keep acquiring businesses, I go hor go horizontal, like keep doing roofing type stuff. Yeah. Because if you try to do all of the things, you're not going to get that economies of scale that we see time and time again in these seven to eight calls. Absolutely. Although I do, I do think about it in a couple of different ways, right? Because you get like, you called it horizontally, horizontally, you could buy multiple roofing businesses and expand yeah. geographically, or you could focus on the same clientele and do roofs and siding and windows and doors and in a way they both have their own efficiencies so it's it's kind of like I don't know, one can you get other. a referral from the siding guy can you make a partnership with the siding guy and you get some sort of referral fee yeah that's true yeah yeah absolutely if that happens i'm looking at the i've, I've been playing into two real estate worlds commercial and residential for a few uh -huh. years and not doing very well in either one <laughs> but enough, you know, I do, I do, I do okay, but not, but, you know, really clearly the passion for me is in the commercial side of things and development and all that. And so uh, just in the last week, some things have happened and I made me realize like, this is the chance to just go all in there. And and that's actually the strategy I'm pursuing with residential because even I understand it so much better and get more business there. I'm just referring it. So I'm just setting up my referral partners awesome. and just handing it there. And now it's hard because just this morning, uh, got a call, you know, to go look at a house to live.
listen, I'm, you know, listings are really easy money for me. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I, you know, haven't, haven't called anybody to refer it to yet. And I'm, I'm so tempted to take it. Um, but you know, have I know you tried, try, have you tried doing that with, um, as low touch as possible? Like, what is that? You get, it's a service business, right? But how yeah. can you do that as low touch as possible? If, if it's possible, maybe you can still keep some of those. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I, you know, I think ultimately I got to, I, I have very good systems for listing properties. Like I can, I have, I have people for every part of it and the listing launch and and then uh, contract to close the whole nine and I can make it happen pretty easy, but I haven't, um, I think ultimately I do have to just take the break. Right. And so the agent I trained, they're going to other offices now and I can just, now I can take a referral fee, which was the same as a house side, pretty much of the mm-hmm. commission. And I don't have the same responsibility over them either. And I, I think like that's, that. that's the mindset I'm looking at. I'll I'm say in terms with. of that mindset stuff, leaving my W2, making that plan, it felt so permanent. Like, yeah. if, I mean, this, this conversation, like that is not permanent. You might decide in six months time that, no, I do want to take listings again. The way that I chose to look at leaving my W2 was it's an experiment. I'm going right. to, for 12 months time, uh, give this a try. And if it doesn't right. feel the way I want it to feel, then I'm going to yeah. just go find another sales job. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I think that uh, when committing to getting laser focused about things, or committing to a path that you are going to be on, it feels so permanent and that's what makes it a hard decision. So what I'd maybe encourage you and anybody listening to do is if you feel stuck on a decision, how can you take the pressure off? How can you maybe put a time frame on it? Or how can you maybe, you know, shift it in just a little way so that it doesn't feel so permanent? So don't burn the ship? I, I burn the ship, but not like, I move the ship so that I can come back to it in 12 months if I want. To. Yeah. How about that? Keep it, keep it far enough out that you can swim back yeah. to it. Is what you're but saying? Out of sight, out of mind. That's not my, what yeah. I'm doing right now, but I have set an alert on my phone that today I need to pay attention to. I kind of do a self-assessment. Does this feel the way I want it to feel? I did actually my two year anniversary was last week. I, I did that wow. again. Yes absolutely this is headed in the direction that i want it to go so speaking of that what what's the i don't know five ten year vision for mandy what, what's your plans yeah you know something surprising uh to me at least was this leave my w2 was such a tremendous goal it was like everything you know and i put everything i had into it and then i made it and i'm like oh okay right and this what is next idea is something that is more difficult than uh, I had imagined. The the thing is what juices me now is getting to as many women as possible. Uh, I am nothing special. I, I just refuse to give up and I am super curious. And if you do those two things, then you're going to like live a life beyond your wildest dreams and a chance to get to say out loud like, hey, this weird farm girl with dyslexia figured a bunch of things out because she got curious and just didn't stop. You can do it too. Like, that is what juices me. So my my goal is to continue to grow Go Abundance Women and impact as many lives in that way as possible. And I, I plan to um, 
get into one joint venture per year. So that would require hmm. 500,000 to a million dollars of cash flow from one of my businesses that I'm starting to grow to be able to throw that into uh, a small multi. So that's the vision yes, five yes. or 10 years from now. And these are all 50 unit plus is what you're looking at. It's a criteria I love a 50 there. unit because I feel like not everybody looks at them. Everybody looks for a hundred units because mm-hmm. then you can yeah. afford the full-time person. Well, my hack on that is like, if I have a 50 unit, I have the third party person, you know, yes, obviously if you have Susan on site for five days out of the week, Monday through Friday, she's going to get stuff done fast. Right. But the important thing there is we have Susan's focus. If I, ha- if I can't afford Susan Monday through Friday with a 50 unit, maybe I can afford her Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I still have her focus might take 48 mm-hmm. hours to fix the problem, but I'm still getting the, the large benefit. Uh, from having scale. And then if I go buy one next door, then I, I just have Susan all day across two assets. Class A, B, C. I like B. Light I, tech. I yeah. think A, um, uh, I think A gets, feels a lot of heat in terms of uh, rent loss in any type of recession. And mm-hmm. if you are not collecting as much money as you thought you would, or you have to give up a ton of concessions, you can get smoked pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I can see a world where I do get into um, uh, class A stuff, but it feels like that type of a risk that I don't want to take yet. Class C yeah. is a lot of headaches. Boy, is that a lot of headaches. Um, and so class B is really where I've ended up. Specifically, I like the class B stuff where you can add value through stuff that's not construction risk. So like, I don't want to redo the whole kitchen for $10,000 a pop and put in granite countertops. That's a lot. That's a heavy lift, really heavier than I want to do. I want the type of value add where we're going to charge a pet rent now and you're going to pay for parking and we're going to bill back for your water. Like that type of a value add play is the stuff that that I look for when underwriting deals. No development? Development gives me the willies candidly because you Mm -hmm. can start something and you don't have something deliverable for 18 months you know, and the cycle and the rent projections and the everything, the interest rates that you're going to get on a permanent loan are very different. However, uh, I kind of went down the rabbit hole a couple years ago when I was pursuing which lane to get into of um, modular stuff. That That's a really interesting uh, development play, in my opinion, because you have your land ready. If you have the land ready, you, they, they basically truck on site the rooms. Yeah. And then they Lego together the rooms and poof, in like a couple of weeks, you have a multifamily that they're yeah. already drywalling and doing fixtures in. Yeah, there is some neat stuff going on with that right now. Mm-hmm. It's what about a go- um, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I wanted to go all the way back to your intro. And there were two I circled out of all the uh, the adjectives there. Um, mindset Ninja. And dot connector. Yes. I Can we talk um, a little bit about those. Absolutely. I, I feel like mindset ninja, I just these little bitty hacks that have taken me from scared out of my mind, little girl from the farm to willing to buy hundred unit properties. Like it, it doesn't feel like anything special, but it's just a tweak of the thing, the way that I think, the way I reframe things. So that um, the, I've given a couple of examples, that worst case scenario exercise, right? The hindsight yeah. foresight, like those aren't 
earth shattering, but my goodness, does it make things more approachable? No matter what's in front of you, if you just choose to like tweak it, uh, your framing of it by two millimeters, the whole world changes. I borrow that from yeah. Tony Robbins, uh, his t- two millimeter distinction. Have you have you heard him talk about that? That if you're playing golf, two millimeters changes yeah. the entire shot. In uh, plastic surgery, two millimeters more on your nose makes you from beautiful into ugly or whatever. So I uh, tattooed two millimeters on my wrist to always remember that if something feels not great, I just need to look at it in a slightly different light. Hmm. And then the other one was dot connector. Uh, I I feel like Another thing that gives me juice and the, the way that I, I look at my job as CEO of Go Abundance Women is I'm a professional wing girl. Like that is what I do. Like, oh, hey, Adam, you you need someone, you need to meet a sighting guy now so that you can make this relationship. I'm going to be thinking about sighting guys that I need to introduce you to. And like nothing but good comes between connecting dots for people. Nothing but, you know, you know whatever kismet, karma, whatever you believe in, uh, plus the chance yeah. for then Adam's going to be like, oh my gosh, this incredible gift that Mandy's given me, what can I do for her? And now he's thinking of ways to impact my life too. I, I just, I feel so firmly that the world is a better place the more we look out for each other. That's great. We could go all day, but I think we're kind of getting up to it. Mandy, I know you got, you got things to do. So let's dive into the Wayfinder 4 if you're ready. Let's go. All right. <laughs> so what is one hack that you use in your daily life? Uh, one, as I started kind of uh, ramping up and bringing in more need for connection, the keeping my calendar straight was a complete cluster. So Calendly has been such a life changer for me. So if you're not using Calendly, absolutely use it. I actually took that a step further from this book called uh, Come Up for Air. Um, <laughs> I bought the domain meetwithmandy.com and attached that to my Calendly. So that is the way it redirects you to my Calendly. So uh, when I need to meet with someone, I just give them that URL and it's super easy. Hmm. Really good idea. I love that. Now you just told the whole world how to connect to your Calendly. Yeah. You I realize that, right? Some, uh, yeah. <laughs> we have to put some uh, stops on that. Do we need to edit that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, it's like the Joe Rogan show here. You never, we got I'm you, saying. You no idea. Yeah. So um, this is the famous four, right? That's so true. the world famous. World the famous. Wayfinder Four. Yeah. World famous. So um what give us a favorite. Mm. Um, I have a lot of favorite books. A lot, a lot of favorite books. I, I do about I'm dyslexic. I do about a hundred books from Audible a year. Um mm-hmm. the one thing is something that has meant a lot to me over a bunch of years that how can I solve this problem with by doing just the one big outcome? How can I what is the one thing that I can do that by doing it, everything else becomes uh, easier or unnecessary? That solved my problem. That was why I put in that EMR thing at my day job back in the day. You know, um, that's a really good one. Um, But also right now, uh, if you haven't found Alex and Layla Hermosi, they are my spirit animals. I, I the way that they workshop business, um, is exactly the way my brain works, but they're working on a billion dollar company and I'm working yep. on a hundred million dollars. So. Which uh, any book in particular of theirs or, or just uh, them in general or follow them on social media for sure. And then um, yeah. 
hundred million dollar offers is Alex's yeah. most recent book. Yeah, I think he just came out with the um, second version of that, the hundred million dollar leads. I have not read that yet. But. They've been talking that about it. It's going to come out. I don't know if it officially have. I, I have not read that one yet. Yeah, me either. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. What is one piece of advice you would give your 25 year old self? Um, as the perfect little girl who got straight A's and I just raised my hand and I waited for everything to be perfect to do anything. Uh, because I, if I boil, if I boil down why it's because I was scared of what it would look like. Right. The, I didn't want it to appear like, Oh, you're going to fail. Like, I don't want anybody to see that I actually screwed something up. Right. So I would tell my 25 year old self, nobody's looking at you. All of these people that you think are going to judge you, they're not going to judge you because they're not even freaking watching you. So go out and do all of the things that fill you up with fire and don't worry about anybody else. I love that. Mandy, before I ask you the last question, I got to just backtrack a little bit because you're just reminding me of my daughter so much. She's also dyslectic and she also has ADHD. And uh, we actually had a... a consultant we recorded with before uh, that he he deals with kids who have um, dyslexia and, and ADHD, and he it was an awesome episode. But um, she is such uh, she listens to so many books, and her retention abilities are phenomenal. And she does really really good in school, and all that too. She's just so like you're just describing yourself as my daughter to like to a T. It's it's awesome. I don't know why cool. I had to say that, but I did. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to see your kid get diagnosed with something that might hold them back, like, understand yeah. that some ridiculous proportion of CEOs have dyslexia. Yeah, totally. They are, they have to figure out how to solve problems in a different way. What a gift totally. that that's she's going to be able to do that, you know? As a matter of fact, that episode we recorded, that's, that's exactly what the consultant said. He called it, the, you know, the gift of ADHD, but, mm-hmm. you know, it applies to both. But absolutely. And she, yeah, she just figures out problems. And we go to escape rooms and she's always like, we want her on our team because she, <laughs> she's the one who figures it out, you know, like quickly. It. It's just amazing. She has a different way of thinking that we don't have, you know. I, I'm down. So, I, that makes me really happy to know. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get her into your, your mastermind. Sure. <laughs> the, uh, so t- what is something that you think keeps people from being happy? Unnecessary expectation. I I think you don't have control over any other person but yourself. So if you expect someone to be doing something to make you feel a certain way, you don't have control over them. Like if you're pointing this finger of blame at someone, wherever you're pointing is where the power goes. So I think people become unhappy because they put whatever expectation on someone else to do something to then make them happy when all the time it's all internal. The, they mm. lack the revelation that I'm in control of all of it. Doesn't mean stuff's not going to be hard, but happiness in my opinion is a choice. So Mandy, um, if people want to know more about how can, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, well, I guess I gave my Calendly in there. Uh, but the, um, best way to get to know more about the stuff I'm working on, uh, and stuff about links to my social media and go abundance is to go to my website, Mandy McAllister.com. M-A-N-D-Y-M-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R.com. And we will link that in the show notes. 
So Mandy, can't thank you enough for coming on. I think you dropped a bunch of knowledge and provided a lot of value to our listeners today. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was really fun. And now I know somebody that can give me tips on how to bail hay. So I'm really excited about that. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you say this before. I think you need to start doing demos. Oh, okay. You know? Next time yeah, I'm at the put, farm, like I'll I'll get a couple. I'll I'll, I'll do some sort of social media video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> all right. Um, Thank you, Mandy. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.